we will start with the sermon. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that this morning we can come together, though not physically in the church, but we are still together in spirit and we can even see each other face to face. We thank you for this technology and we pray that it will work smoothly for all of us. Father, we pray that your word will continue to reach people, even when people are homebound. And also for ourselves, we pray that your word will reach not just our ears, but even our hearts, and that it will touch us and change us, that we will have a new and fresh understanding and appreciation of who you are and who Jesus is, what he has accomplished for us as we enter into the the final week before Easter, the Resurrection Day, we remember the work that Christ did for us. Help us to meditate on these things, to let it touch us fresh. And we pray that it will result in genuine and heartfelt worship for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, help me to speak your word. It is a bit weird to speak in front of a camera. But we know that um, you can use even these words on camera to reach our hearts. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have come to chapter 11 in our uh, Mark series, and I sort of planned it that way as I was uh, working on a preaching schedule some time ago. I suddenly realized, hey, uh, Mark 11 falls exactly on Palm Sunday, the final Sunday before Easter, which is very great because the passage for today deals with what happened on Palm Sunday, which is today. Uh, and as I said just now, next week, next Sunday will be Easter. Um, maybe you totally forgot about it and all that's on your mind is the COVID-19 um, virus. And I can understand, of course. But next week, Sunday is Easter. Well, I'd rather call it Resurrection Day, which is a much more beautiful name. Um, because we will remember the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that the tomb is empty and we believe in a Lord who lives. Um, and not only that, we also will live with him forever. So let's not forget this great resurrection day. And today's passage it's, it's, um, one week before that um, in chapter 11 of Mark. And many believe it was on a Sunday. Um, some 2,000 years ago. Others think it was on a Monday. It's a bit complicated. It's a bit of a puzzle to um, combine all the different Gospels and interpret the details that are given. But let's take it for now that it was on a Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people were crying, Hosanna, and um, they were holding branches or palm branches, and that is why it is called Palm Sunday in tradition. So let's read the passage, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. And I will put that on the screen. 
11, first one to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, which is a young donkey, tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a coal tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the coal? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the coal to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, so it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So in the past few weeks and months, we have been reading and preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we have seen and we have been face to face with Jesus. And the question was, who is this man? And there were many different reactions. There was ignorance, there was curiosity, um, rejection, and thankfully there was also faith, people that accepted Jesus by faith. In fact, last week we met with uh, Bartimaeus, you remember that, the blind man in Mark chapter 10, he believed in Jesus. He met this man that gave him his sight, this man that took time to stop and call him, and he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And then obviously his response was, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. It was in Mark 10, 51. And Jesus grants him what he wants so desperately. And then it says, the final verse of last week's passage, verse 52, that he followed him on the way. Can you imagine this man receiving his sight? The first thing that he sees is the face of Jesus. And then he says, I'm going to follow him. And that is very touching because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to give his life. And Bartimaeus follows him, and who knows, maybe one week later, this man was standing at the cross, seeing with his own eyes the Savior giving his life for him, and for you, and for me. There are a lot of stories, and miracles, and conversations in the Gospels, where we don't know exactly when it happened. We read the story, but we don't know, you know, which month, which day. But it seems that as we reach this final week in the life of the Lord Jesus, that the uh, gospel writers become very specific, very accurate. They give days and even hours as to point out this is, this is when it happened. Very interesting. And John, in the gospel of John, is very particular, very precise 
Because throughout John's Gospel, you read phrases like, his hour had not yet come. You read that on a few uh, occasions. And then finally, in the end of the Gospel, the hour has come. So you see that Jesus was living on a divine timetable. It was all leading to something. It was all leading to that moment on the cross, that lowest and yet that highest point in human history. Let me read that from uh, John 12, verse 23, 24. And Jesus entered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, falls into the earth, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So glory in verse 23 is death in verse 24. Very strange, glory and death combined. And John makes it very clear when these things happen that we are reading about. In John 12, verse 1, it says six days before the Passover. And then in verse 12, the next day, so that is five days before the Passover. And then follows the account of Jesus' entry in Jerusalem, um, which we read just now, just now by Mark. So Jesus went to Jerusalem on a divine timetable, fully submitting to the will of God, and at the same time, he was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. One example, from all the way back in Genesis, Jacob, when he is blessing his sons, he's blessing his son Judah. And then he says, very strange, except which attribute, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And then he continues in verse 11, binding his fall to the vine and his donkey's call to the choice vine. Very mysterious words until you put it next to Mark 11 and then it starts to make sense. Because here comes the king from the tribe of Judah and he is a direct descendant from the line of David, the king, and he commands his disciples to go and get that call that was tied in front of our house. And he says, the Lord has need of it. And he will send it back immediately. That is how my Lord is. And then they bring that call, the young donkey, to Jesus, and he sits on it. And then he fulfills another prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this happened just before Passover. The Pharisees who really hated Jesus, they wanted to get rid of him. They're plotting to kill him, but they said not on the Passover because that would not be a good plan. Jerusalem would be packed with pilgrims who would all come for the Passover festival. The city would be packed and 
and uproar would be disastrous. So they said, we want to get rid of him, but not on Passover. But God overruled that. Jesus would die on Passover because he was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That is how John starts his gospel, John chapter 1. That was already determined before the foundation of the world. And that it would happen on Passover was also um, predicted. It was already pictured way back in Exodus chapter 12 when the Passover was instituted. You remember that first Passover that Israel ever celebrated on the night that they left Egypt and they left slavery and when they became a free people. Let's also read that passage. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 to 7, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of people, of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So nine plagues had passed in Egypt and God had one more plague in store to force Egypt to let out his people, to let his people go. But this plague would not only affect the Egyptians, it would also affect Israel. All the firstborn would die. The angel would go from house to house at midnight and kill every single firstborn in the house. But there was one escape. Blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. A lamb as a substitute. A life for a life. So Moses tells the people, get ready. Select a lamb, verse 3. In verse 4 it is the lamb. In verse 5 it is your lamb, without blemish. So a lamb that is general, the lamb that is exclusive, and your lamb that is personal. And Moses said, select a lamb on the 10th day of the month, that is the month Nisan, and then keep it till the 14th of the month. So keep that lamb in the house, observe it for a couple of days, and then on the 14th, kill it. Put the blood on the doorpost of your house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That is Passover. 
and maybe it doesn't make too much sense. You wonder why would God kill the firstborn? Why would this lamb need to die? And why all this blood? It starts to make sense when we see how it is all fulfilled in Jesus. So this lamb was killed on the 14th of Nisan, and then even that same night on the 15th. And that's again a bit complicated because Jewish days run from sundown till sundown. Um, and we know that Jesus had his last Passover meal on that um, with his disciples in the evening. And then he was arrested and put on trial during the night. And then he was crucified the next day. That is when he became the ultimate Passover lamb. We call that Good Friday. And that is this Friday, the day that Jesus died. So now back to Mark chapter 11, because here comes Jesus sitting on a donkey, the young of a donkey, on the tent of Nisham, the day that all Israel would select their lamb for Passover. It was a lamb selection day. That's why there were so many pilgrims going to Jerusalem. They were all excited. They were singing all those psalms. It was a festival. And on the tent of Nisan, they would select their lamb for the Passover sacrifice. And that is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. It is as if he is saying, pick me, pick me. He is not just a lamb, he is the lamb, and he is your lamb. And we have already seen that he is without blemish. That was the purpose for keeping that lamb from the tent all the way to the 14th. It was to see, to test, to prove this lamb is without blemish. And we have seen that already, that Jesus, our Passover lamb, is without blemish. He is perfect. But yet, Mark will give us, in the following chapters, um, that final test. Between the 10th of Nisan and the 14th, he is one more time scrutinized by all sorts of people. And we read that in very much detail in the remaining chapters of Mark, how in um, chapter 12, or even chapter 11 itself, his authority is being challenged. And then in chapter 12, they ask him this trick question about paying tax to Caesar, but they, they can't corner him. He gives an excellent answer, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And then they question him about the resurrection, but then Jesus needs to correct them. He says in 12.27, you are quite wrong. And by the time we reach Mark 12.23, no one dares to ask him any more questions. You see how perfect this lamb is? But still they hate Jesus. But there was no fault in him. So when they put him on trial in Mark 14, they need false witnesses. And even Pilate, the judge, finds no fault in him. Yet he delivers him to be crucified just to satisfy the crowd. Can you see how Jesus fulfills that Exodus picture, how he is that perfect Passover lamb. Select a lamb on the 10th of the month. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So Jesus is that perfect lamb for the perfect sacrifice. And John the Baptist had made it very clear already. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here he comes to 
Jerusalem fully determined, behold, your king. It was Lamb Selection Day. And the people were excited. They shout and they sing and they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, Israel in those days was under the iron rule of Rome. They needed a Messiah to deliver them from all the restrictions of the Roman Empire. They were longing for deliverance, freedom to move around and to breathe freely. They were sick and tired of their quarantine and wondered how many more would die. So here is finally somebody who can perform miracles. Here is somebody who can raise people from the dead. This is the Messiah that they need. Hosanna, they cry. That means please save. Save us from the Romans. And don't we hear a sort of an echo of that cry everywhere around us today in the Christian world? And isn't that in a sense also the cry of our own hearts when we watch the news, when we start hearing of people being affected by the coronavirus, people that actually, whom we actually know, is coming nearer and nearer to ourselves? Jesus, save us from corona. Yes. We want a Corona Messiah. And what does Jesus say? Is he that Messiah? Is he the King? Yes, definitely. He fulfills the Old Testament prophecies in an undeniable way. Behold, your King is coming to you. And he has salvation. That is what we read in Zechariah 9, 9, this number. But look at his face. I see tears. Let me read that for you from Luke chapter 19. Verse 41. That is the account in Luke, but dealing with the same Jesus entry in Jerusalem. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you pray for salvation from Corona? Are you looking forward to be freed from this lockdown? Of course we do. And I also can't wait for this whole thing to be over. So many lives are being lost and we all feel tired of sitting at home. But look to Jesus' face. He's crying. Why is he crying? Is he crying over the suffering? Yes, I would think so. Is he crying over the thousands of people that are dying and that have already died? Yes, I would think so. But the question is, is that all? Is all that matters the here and now and for us to go back to normal and to pick up our, our lives as normal? Is that all that matters? You see, Jesus cried over Jerusalem. 
and he was the only one crying that day. Everybody was excited and, and shouting and dancing and waving their palm branches and crying Hosanna, but Jesus was crying. Oh, if only you had known on this day what you really, really need. If only you would know what makes for peace. See, it's not, it's not about getting rid of Corona. It was not about getting rid of the Roman oppression. It was not about being freed from slavery in Egypt. That was only a picture. That blood on the doorposts was a picture of the blood of the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Not Corona in the first place, sin. For what is the point of surviving Corona and still dying your sins later on? It is Palm Sunday today, and it was Lamb Selection Day, and Jesus Christ Oh, if only this world would see what they really need. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Pick him. Select him. The lamb of God. Don't make Jesus a corona messiah. He is so much more than that. Lift him up as the savior of our souls. Could it be that God does use the current crisis that the world is in at this moment to force us to a standstill so that at least we think and reflect and consider. I pray he does. You see, in Israel, things spiraled out of hand in 70 AD. That was when Jerusalem was destroyed and Jesus had already predicted that. Hundreds of thousands were killed. And then in World War II, six million Jews were killed. And now we live in 2020, and I don't know how long this corona thing is going to last, and I also don't know how black this stage is going to be. But I do know that each one of us has to select his or her lamb. Today, select your lamb. Because sin is a worse virus than corona. The end of it is eternal death. And the question is not whether or not we're going to get it. We already are infected, all of us. But unlike the coronavirus, for this sin problem, this sin virus, the remedy is already there. The Lamb of God that can take away your sin. Of course, when I say that, I'm not addressing you as brothers and sisters, but I realize there might be among you who are who have not selected their lamb yet. Today is the day. Today is lamb selection day. I also realize that the that the things that I talk about, sin, Passover, the cross, the Lamb of God, destruction of Jerusalem. Corona. I mean, these are all big things, fast things, overwhelming in a sense. And I think that many of us are feeling overwhelmed uh, these days. But you know what I find so beautiful? That in the midst of it all, Jesus, right, 
on the donkey on his way to Jerusalem. To accomplish a work that is so dazzling, so mind-boggling in its height and in its depth that we don't even know how to start imagining it. But at the same time, he writes on the donkey, very simple, very humble, a donkey which he borrowed. The Lord needs it, we read in Mark 11. But by the way, he will send it back immediately. Beautiful detail. Because Jesus knows that whoever was the owner of this donkey also needs it. Because the Savior of our souls, in the midst of all these enormous things that are overwhelming, is also the Lord of every little, little detail in our lives. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for making it so clear in your word throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that you had set your mind on one person, one sacrifice, your own son, who would be the ultimate lamb that would save us from our sins and secure our eternal destiny with you in heaven. Father, we thank you that at the same time, he is the Lord of every small detail. Not even a sparrow falls down without him knowing it. Father, we thank you that we can trust you for the biggest things and for the smallest things. And so here we are in the midst of a corona crisis that the world is in. Father, we pray once again that the world will realize that they need a savior from their sins. Yes, we also believe that everything is in your hand and it's not too hard for you to even save the world from Corona. But it might be that you are using this to force people to stand still. I pray that you do, that people will stop and consider and think, where am I when I die? Father, at the same time, we pray for each other as brothers and sisters, those of us who have selected our lamb already, for those of us who have applied your blood, Lord Jesus, to the doorposts of our heart, of our lives, those of us who are safe already for eternity, yet we face the same circumstances we have people that we know that are being infected. We have people in the church that are without work. There's so many ripple effects of this, of this whole thing. Father, we pray that you will help us to reach out to each other, that we will continue to also trust you for the daily things. So Father, as we embark into a new week, a week that is leading to Resurrection Day, help us to stay close to you, to worship you, to remember the facts in history that happened, your final week, Lord Jesus, here on earth before you gave your life. Help us to, in spirit, walk that road with you and see how you went to that cross to give yourself for us and to rejoice with you in the resurrection as we celebrate that next Sunday.
We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.